I asked David to uh, lead us in that song this morning because it has a, a really special meaning in my life that's kind of a love-hate relationship. If you were to go with me on a little journey, um, every day for about nine months, around 6.30 in the morning, I would come out of my house, uh, whether it was sunny and warm or frigid in the snow or raining, whatever it was, windy, and I would put on my earbuds and click my phone for some music lists, and that would be the first song. And I would, and I would hear that first intro with the guitar, ding, 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 and it's like, it's a great walking tempo. I, I followed that song every day for about nine months because I had found myself in a really hard trial. And that trial was my COVID story. Everybody has a COVID story, it seems. So I had been applying for a new job, had gone through 11 interviews, several with the CEO, with the board chair, with uh, every VP at this large nonprofit up in the mountains. I'm not somebody who likes the idea of a dream job, but if there were a dream job for me, that was probably it. And after all these interviews, it was on um, Thursday, March 12th, 2020, I had my final interview and included a consultant from New York out with this group, and they were saying, we're really looking forward to working with you. We're going to make an offer this weekend. If you calculate things in your brain about what date this was, that was March 12th. On March 13th, the state shut down. On March 14th, any offer was not going to happen. Now, now, what made it extra hard is that I had left a job, as had my wife. And so we found ourselves in the middle of COVID, and she saw a few months left on her contract, and I was unemployed. And so that song starts, and on one level, it brings this great joy to me because of what it says that is absolutely true. And on the other hand, it reminds me of a really hard time. But it was a time of growth. So when Carl asked me to step in for this week, the second week in a series on growth, the growth challenge, he gave me a couple of ideas. He said, here's where I think it goes for week two, is that faith Growth is relational. It happens best in community and relationship. And I think a good way to start that would be to talk about how it's rooted in the Trinity. How much time do we have this morning to talk about the reality of the Trinity and then talk about growth and how it plays out in relationship? Well, we can do all that. We, We spent the first part of our worship time this morning singing and talking about the Trinity. And the Trinity is one of those doctrines that's baffling because we tend to put it out there. Well, what do we believe about God? Well, God has eternally existed as three in one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's kind of what we'd call his ontological definition. We define God that way, and I think we often think it just stays there. That's a definition of God. But as we experienced when Roy led us through a prayer exercise and we sang through these songs about the triune God, we realized that that's actually how he works among us. In in theology, sometimes it's called the perichoritic dance of the Trinity. It's a dance between the three persons in one God. And as followers of Christ, we're invited into that. We're invited into it, even though we are individually choosing to be someone who follows Jesus, 
We're instantly part of something bigger. We're part of the body. We're living in the power of the triune God. That is a huge thing that doesn't just exist out there. It plays out every day. So then the next thing is, um, in some ways, you know, Carl, if he watches the uh, stream at some point, he can, we can check the box on we've talked about the Trinity. Because God has eternally existed as a relationship. We are relational people who live in relationship, and growth happens best in relationship. Well, well, then comes the challenge of what scripture passage should we talk about with this? And, and I'm someone, you know, I was a pastor for about 23 years before I moved into the broader nonprofit world. And a question you'd get occasionally was, well, how do you decide what to preach on? And I would love to tell you that it's always based in some vast scripture search or listening to the Holy Spirit or interacting and knowing each person in the room and what they're going through, I will craft something that is perfect. Well, sometimes ideas just come. And then we could say that's the Holy Spirit. They just come and sometimes just something just captures your attention. And for me, for our passage today, what captured my attention are the Denver Broncos. And this isn't football season. I'm a huge football nerd. I love that the Avs are in the Stanley Cup playoffs. I love watching the games. But deep down, I'm a football fan. And the Broncos are in the news a lot. The big trade for Russell Wilson as the new quarterback. The draft took place. It's currently rookie training camp, right? Broncos season is amazing. And when I think of the Broncos, I think of the book of James. (laughs) Of course. Not you. Oh, well, okay, here's how it works. Ever been to a Denver Bronco game live at Mile High Stadium? It will always be Mile High Stadium, not Invesco Field or whatever it is now. It's, like, it's Mile High Stadium. I had never been live to a Bronco game until I was about 30 years old. And I finally got the chance. I was invited to go, and we're sitting in the south stands at Old Mile High Stadium, which was intense and crazy and wild. And we're watching the game, and to this day, the same thing happens. Let's say um, you're watching them play the Kansas City Chiefs, and on that play, Patrick Mahomes, the quarterback, attempting to throw to the tight end, Kelsey, and, and he misses the pass, right? He drops it. And so at that moment, the announcer comes on the field announcer, and he says, and the pass from Mahomes to Kelsey was incomplete. And everybody did it in unison. And I had never picked that up watching on TV. It happened. It was like I was invited into this role, and I didn't get the memo that I had a job to do at the game. And it was like going to church. This is part of the antiphonal call and response. Everybody said, amen. No, everybody said, incomplete. And that's the connection to the book of James. No? Still not? Well, let's read the passage, and we'll figure out how it works. It's the beginning of the book of James, the first eight verses of chapter 1. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. 
But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Now, is an incomplete pass exactly the same as completion here? Well, no, but there's, there's a relationship. When you're attempting a pass from Mahomes to Kelsey, the goal was to complete the play and eventually score a touchdown. And so the desired result was not accomplished. It was incomplete. What I love about this passage in James, and and if you're looking in your Bible, a lot of times right at the beginning of this, it has like a heading that says trials and temptations or something to that effect. And they're saying, this is about trials. I kind of beg to differ. This is about completion. This is about maturity. This is about growth. So we start with the end in mind. Isn't it amazing that God's desire for us is that we be mature and complete, not lacking anything? And then James backs up and says, well, let's kind of see how we get there. This is one of the ways that we grow. This is one approach. And so as we look at this passage, I want us to keep a couple things in mind. One is when we talk about God at work, we're talking about the Trinity, what we just talked about. The other thing to keep in mind is that as in all these letters in the New Testament, they're not addressing one person, say, here it's all about your personal pull yourself up, grow thing. It's about the body. It's about everyone who follows Christ on a trajectory of growth. And my personal growth is part of that, but we're all growing together. James would not understand the idea of this is about my personal thing. That's kind of assumed. It's for what end? For all of us for the body, for his church to grow to completion, maturity. It's all wrapped up together. So keep that in mind. This isn't like you individual, it's y'all, or all y'all, or yous, depending on what part of the country you're from. All right, it's, it's plural. Ewans, as my mom used to say, from Pennsylvania. Um, so first of all, we have to consider it pure joy. And that's a word that throws us off, because in our culture, we think joy means happy. You should be happy when you go through a trial. You know, and even the, this passage can almost become cliche a lot of times. It falls off the lips so quickly. It's like, I've just lost my job. And someone will say, well, consider it all joy. <laughs> mm, that's a little too cliche for me. That, this is hard. So joy isn't about an emotion, a feeling happy. It's a sense of settled fullness. It's a place of trust. It's not an emotion. It's a statement of being. How can we see this moment for what God wants to do in it? That's a, a place that's not emotional. And so we, we have this situation where maybe we kind of talk back to James. Consider all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you go through trials of many kinds. It's like, time out. James, you don't know my life. As if he never went through anything. Do you really know what I'm going through and you say, count it all joy. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. When you go through trials of many kinds. So then we have to stop and say, well, what's a trial? And, and a trial is pretty much anything you can imagine. It was losing a job when I was on the verge of what I thought was the best job I could ever get. It's a relationship that's falling apart. It's, it's an illness. It's the loss of a loved one. 
It can be all kinds of things. It can be just that daily give and take of butting heads with somebody or, or being in an argument or failing a class. It's a trial of many kinds, of all kinds of degrees of challenge. Those are trials. In some ways, I think we have to understand if we're defining trial, a trial is just the stuff that happens in life. Note that James didn't say first, well, first figure out where the trial came from. Did it come from God? Is this something uh, Satan is inflicting on you? Did another person do something from, to you? Is this something of your own doing? And say, it's just a trial. It, in some ways, it's a neutral thing. It just happened. A unique thing to think about as we talk about this, because uh, James says the trial, he says, are you going to allow God to use that as a test, which leads to perseverance, which leads to maturity and completion? Later in James, just a few verses after our passage today, another option is there in a trial, which is basically, or are you going to have that become a temptation that leads to sin, that leads to death? In other words, there's this choice, and the, the root of the noun trial and the root of the verb for temptation is the same root in Greek, which tells you how we understand it is based on context. In other words, you have two paths we could go on. Testing, perseverance, maturity, or temptation, sin, death. Right? That, that's the road before us. Which way will we choose? So a trial is a neutral thing, and uh, in the middle of it we see God's desired outcome. So I think that's something we rest in today. So as we move in this passage, I think I just want to give some random thoughts about trials. All right, based on this passage, what do we know about trials? Well, first, trials, though unwelcome and unanticipated, can be a catalyst for pure joy. In other words, James is painting for us a long-term view. Something amazing can happen even though this moment we don't like and we didn't see it coming. And it could be destructive. There's a long-term view, something beyond just this moment Another thing is that trials can be used by God as a means of testing. So we have this neutral thing that just happens in life. God can use that as a test. And here's where we get in trouble with just our language. If we say, what's a test? We think, well, that's like school, where you're going to be evaluated on if you know the material well enough. So I have a math test next Tuesday. The teacher is going to want to know if I know my formulas well enough that I can accomplish and solve the problems on the page. If so, I'll get a good grade. If not, I may fail. That's not what a testing is in this context. And the scriptural idea of testing is more, this is an opportunity to discover something and learn something new. Not, let's evaluate if you've figured it all out yet. So, so we have a trial, and God can use that as a test, which is an opportunity. And that testing should lead to perseverance, which leads to maturity and, per, and, and completion. Another thing random about trials, trials are a call to contemplation. So what's the very first word in this part of the passage? Consider it pure joy. Consider it. it. On the surface, why would I see this as joy? Well, you have to consider it that way. You have to ponder it. You have to think about it. You have to figure out, how can this? This is a moment I don't like. I don't want to be here. 
I don't like what happened to me. But James is saying if you consider it in the right way, it can lead to that. This testing can bring about something different and unique and growing. If we consider it that way. And if I'm just jumping in here and say, how do we relate that to other people on the journey with us? Considering it usually means somebody else is helping inform that. Helping us think about it. Can you, can you help me think about this challenge? When Laura and I were going through this time of that unemployment time, what's going to happen next? We talked a lot about how can we ponder this? How do we consider this? How can this be about joy in the middle of it? And so we inform each other in that. In a lot of ways, I've found that the voice of God sounds a lot like my wife, Laura. Or my son, Ryan. Or my daughter, Jenna. Or other friends I have. Because God works that way among his people. We, we move together in those ways. It's a time for contemplation in order to get there. Trials are also a call to pray. In this case, to pray for wisdom. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later. But that's, trial gives that opportunity. This is a chance to pray for wisdom after I've considered how this can be seen in joy. Right? It's all this process of growing alongside other people. And trials have a purifying quality. They are the arena in which God can bring out something amazing. Maturity. His desired outcome of completion. So we look at all these ideas. Consider our joy when you go through trials of many kinds because you know that perseverance leads to maturity, leads to completion. That's an amazing process that can go through there. And as we ponder it, talk about contemplation, right? Consider it. I love the, the way James says, why? Because you know it leads to these things. We know that to be true, so we should be able to see it as a time of joy. But then we say, well, how is this possible? Okay, we've talked about trials. We've defined them in a very particular way. We see testing as a way of going down this road towards God's long-term view for our lives. But how is that really possible? How does that play out? Well, I think one way is that testing forces us to the place where we ask God for his wisdom, God's wisdom, wisdom that helps us see the trial through his eyes a way to look at it. So that's a a different kind of prayer. It's not, God, take this away from me, although that's a perfectly valid prayer. God, I would rather not be in this circumstance. Can, Can you help provide another job? That is a great prayer. Can you fix this relationship? That's a great prayer, but it might not happen. So God, give me your wisdom to see that possible end of growth, even if those other prayers are never answered the way I wish they were. Pray for wisdom. God loves to give wisdom. Well, this is also possible because testing helps us understand what it means to be fully human. Is that a term that you've heard before? Ever thought about fully human? I mean, we use terms like, we ask people when we've made a mistake, it's like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm only human. No, we were made a certain way. The original plan for mankind, for humanity before the fall, was that we lived in perfect relationship with the triune God, with his people, and with creation. That was what we were made for. That was being fully human. 
And, and like the Apostle Paul talks about, um, he prays that we will be transformed more and more into the likeness of Jesus. And we know that Jesus is both fully divine, fully God, and fully human. And so we're not being transformed into his divinity, we're being transformed into his full humanity. This gives us a picture, this idea of what we've gone through in life is moving us towards God's ultimate goal for us, which is restoration to why we were created in the first place and who we were meant to be. That long-term picture, James's word for completion is actually perfection, which will only be realized when Jesus returns. But that's the goal. So this gives us this glimpse of how can we have joy in the middle of this trial? It's because God's testing is leading us towards something, restoring us to why we were created and who we were created to be, and that's fully human. It's also possible because testing in the trial gives us the opportunity to trust God. To trust God, and that's, that's the hard part in this. Because we see this picture, and on paper we go, this makes total sense. But I'm still without a job. I still have a relationship that's in the mud. I wake up every morning, I still have this disease. It's not gone away, but I see this picture of what you're painting, and it's a beautiful picture of what God wants for me. But I wrestle through it, so do I really trust? And so he says, if you lack wisdom, ask it. He gives generously to all. But if, when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Now, now, some places in Scripture, the idea of doubt is really seen as the seedbed of faith. We have lots of psalms that cry out to God in the midst of pain, right? Why, God, how long is this going to go on? The prophets were that way as well. But they always ended in, but I trust in who you are. I see the goodness of who you are. And they, they land there in this place. And so the doubting is something that gives strength and depth the faith, because we're really wrestling with issues of truth. This is who God is, and I believe that even though it doesn't feel good now. James's definition of doubt is different. He says the one who doubts is like a wave, kind of just pushed by the wind. He says that's double-mindedness. You, you say one thing, and you don't act on it, and you do something else, and you land here, and you never come to the place of absolute trust. He says you're like a wave. Not something on a wave, but a wave. You are like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person shouldn't expect to receive the maturity and completion that God desires. Now, now here's another thing where life circumstance changes how you understand things. So I am a landlocked person. I've almost always lived in Colorado. Our largest body of water is Blue Mesa Reservoir. We don't have a sea. We don't have an ocean. And so I didn't ever understand waves. And so I remember uh, my daughter, Jenna, married a, a, a native Hawaiian islander, and they lived on the island of Kauai for several years. And because we had a second bedroom there, we went to Kauai a lot. And as the landlocked guy, I would sit there at the beach and look out at the waves, and you know, every part of the island is a little different, and it's amazing. And we were going up to the North Shore once, and Jake, our son-in-law, says, oh, it'll be fun. They have epic sick waves this weekend. I didn't know what epic sick meant, but they were loud. It was enormous. But then regular sets of waves that come in, and my thought as landlocked, ignorant Dale from Colorado would sit there and look and go, I wonder where that wave came from. 
assuming it started somewhere and just worked its way around the globe till it flowed up on the shore. It's like, wow, that's amazing. And little did I realize that waves really are passive things. They have no power on their own. They're, they're determined and dictated by the topography and the ocean floor and by gravity and tidal changes and wind. They, they respond to whatever is pushing or pulling them. That's what a wave is. And James says, people who don't believe, they doubt, they're like that wave. They're double-minded. This is a person that can't consider it pure joy in a trial. Not for the trial, but in a trial. All they'll see is the trial. And allowing this to become a test enables you to trust God and say, he says in this trial, I can come closer to being complete. It's hard to see that. But testing allows that to happen. And then testing is, this is possible because testing gives God the opportunity to show us his grace and compassion. It's a little phrase in here, right? If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all. Why? Without finding fault. That's an amazing phrase. It's like, God, I'm in this trial and I should have known better. I should know what you're going to do in this. No, ask for wisdom. I love to give wisdom generously. I love to pour out grace and compassion. I'm so glad you asked for that. But we live in a world that tends to try to prove itself. I'm thinking of my son, Ryan, when he was a little guy. He was you know, like eight or nine years old and had a project to do in school. And Ryan is just one of the craziest smart people I know. He's an amazingly smart boy. He, was a, he is a smart man. He did his master's degree in uh, international development in Spain, in Spanish. And they put no criticisms on his thesis. It was perfect. And they said so. We have nothing to say to improve this. He's brilliant. But there was a day when he was like eight or nine years old, and we were at the public library because he needed some resources for something they were doing in school. And he was petrified to talk to the librarian. He like just stood behind this pillar, and the librarian's over there, and he's like, Frank, go talk. It's like, I don't want to go talk. I don't want to go talk to her. You need to go talk to her. You need to ask her these questions. Well, if I do that, she'll know I don't know something. That's her job. That's God's job. God, can you help me see this? Can you help me move towards maturity? Can, can you bring people in my life to speak into that? Can you help me in all humility reach out and ask somebody to mentor me and come alongside me on this journey because we're all on the journey together? How do I consider this pure joy? I allow it to be a test that leads to maturity and completion and that needs other people on the journey. That's God's job. He's not going to look at you and say, I can't believe you asked that. We've been through this before. (laughs) No, I'm so glad you asked. It's kind of like, other places in scripture, there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. He gives generously to all without finding fault. What a great place to be able to live. So so how do we wrap this up? Well, I think uh, all these ideas about what are trials and how is it all possible to live that way and have that play out fall into a couple of categories. One is that trials and testing ought to be received I can't read my own note. They ought to be received with joy because they result in benefit. 
And that benefit is what God desires for us, and that benefit is maturity and completion. When Roy was talking about being in Scotland, said that their first few weeks have been all about perseverance, which is awesome. But perseverance isn't the goal. The prayer, the statement of James isn't, see the trial as, consider it joy because by gum, you're going to get to persevere. If that's the end, I want nothing with it. Good job, I persevered. And then what? Maturity. Completion. So when the next trial comes, and maybe it's the same trial but a new one, I may be able to consider it that a little sooner. And so we receive that with joy because it results in maturity. And we understand that wisdom is needed as a gift from God in order to see it that way. If we want to see this trial as an opportunity for maturity, we need God's wisdom that often comes through other people to see it that way and help us navigate that. I think the big challenge of faith is to not be a wave that gets blown here and there, but is rooted and trusts in the character of God and that he is more interested in our character than in our comfort. And so he says, this trial, it is what it is, and he feels for us in it. He says, will you let me use that as a test that leads to perseverance, that leads to maturity? And we're all in this path together. So as I said at the beginning, we look at a passage like this and it's easy to isolate this into my own journey of faith. And I'm going to do whatever it takes for me to grow, to see this as joy, to walk this way, walk this way. There, I landed at maturity. This is awesome. I've arrived. And God says, you can't do that yourself. You're part of a body. You're part of a group of people on the same journey. Can you invite people into that? And can you step into that in other people's lives so that you're just as concerned for their growth as you are for your own? And also recognize that your growth is dependent on how they speak into you and how they act in your life. It all goes together in a dance with the Trinity I want to tell you a story about an uh, experience I had of somebody who was looking out for my growth. And, and I would say this was the most influential teacher that I ever had. His name was Paul. At the time, he was a college student, and he was teaching second-grade boys Sunday school. That, in and of itself, is a saintly person. <laughs> about eight or nine of us second-graders were like eight years old, we would come to Sunday school teaching classes. He would have lessons for us. He, he was a great teacher, a great leader, because he wanted us all to experience life together, too. And so we'd go, I remember going ice skating up at Lake Evergreen as a group. We'd go bowling. We'd have parties together. And, and there was one day on a Sunday where we walked into the room, once again, little eight-year-old eight boys, sitting around a circle, and in the middle of the circle on the floor was a basin of water and a towel. And you can probably all guess the lesson was on Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And he thought it would be a great object lesson. And so he asked if any of us were willing to wash the other boys' feet. No. <laughs> Nobody said a word. It's like, I'm, 
I didn't even take a bath yesterday. I'm, your feet probably stink. No way. There was no way any of us were going to wash the other eight-year-old boy's feet. I don't know if I washed my own feet at eight years old. I am not touching your dirty, stinky feet. So we sat there. And eventually Paul got the hint. And he could have easily said, well, that's the lesson Jesus did it. You should do. You know. But he didn't. He decided to get out on the floor. And one by one, he washed our feet. I left that one detail. Paul had cerebral palsy. And Paul was confined to a wheelchair. And when he realized nobody was going to move, he kind of slid his way out of his chair on the floor and kind of propped himself up on an elbow and one by one took off our shoes and socks and washed our feet. And we sat there, I'm sure I cried because I did then too. We sat there just dumbfounded. He was willing to do something really uncomfortable because he was concerned for our growth. And 54 years later, I can still picture that moment. And it's profound. He lived in a trial that had things every day. He, he probably prayed that this disease would be taken away, and it never was. He lived every day in that context and got worse and worse and worse physically. But he persevered. He matured. And I'm really confident that Paul today is complete. Lacking nothing. Because that's the promise, the long-term view God has for us. Will we enter into each other's lives? Will we ask for help? Will we cry out, will you help me see this really challenging moment today as an opportunity for utter joy. Can you speak that into my life? I'll speak to yours, but we have to invite each other. Can you help me see this differently? Can you help me grow? Can you help me mature? Can you help me be complete in the picture that God has for all of us? And by doing that, imagine we all live that way. At Centennial Covenant Church, what would that church look like? that we see our personal growth as just part of how we all grow together. And so it's Centennial Covenant Church, consider joy when you go through trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing leads to perseverance, and perseverance leads to maturity, which leads to completion, not lacking anything. As God's feet and hands to each other and to this community. That's growth. And God said, that's what I want for you. Consider it joy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It kind of shakes us up. Partly, I don't want to know anybody. I don't want people to know everything that goes on in me. And where I need encouragement. And where I need wisdom. And where I need the help that only you can give. And you give that through other people. And help us be willing to ask for help. Because that's what you do. You love to pour out mercy and grace and compassion and give wisdom without finding fault. Help us be people who reflect that same thing and come alongside people without finding fault. 
as we all move to be conformed more and more to the image of Jesus, his full humanity, and be complete. Father, thank you for each person in this room, for the gift that they are to each other. Help us seek out friends, mentors, people we can come alongside to help each other see joy because of what you are doing. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.